Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. In this episode, I'm going to read passages from two books that I've selected. And what I'm trying to do here as I read those is to is to wonder about the relationship between our modern world's preoccupation with personal growth and development and the declining health of the world at large, including the natural world. I wonder about how much our conversations regarding meeting our personal needs either helps or harms our world. In nonviolent communication, we understand our needs as being universal and the way that the energy of life moves through us. But I've often maintained a a view, or certainly over the past number of years, I've developed this view or theory that many times we don't even know what we need. We don't really know what would actually be good for us. And the reason we don't know is because we're so disconnected from the living world. And since it's the living world that sustains us and makes it possible for us to live our lives, if we're not in connection with that living world, how could we possibly know what's good for us? Our understanding of what's good for us typically derives from personal preferences that are not rooted to the realities of life, but rather are informed by what modernity teaches us and markets to us. So here goes. This is from a book titled, My Name is Chellis, and I'm in Recovery from Western Civilization. This is a book I really love, and I will be including links in the show notes to what I'm reading. This is under the title, Our Human Past. Life on Earth began some 3.5 billion years ago as chains of DNA, RNA, and protein assembled themselves into minute threads and spheres of blue-green algae and bacteria. Primitive mammals evolved as recently as 190 million years ago, and it is estimated that anthropoids, from whom we humans directly evolved, came into existence some 60 million years ago. And humans, the earliest stages of our emergence seem to have taken place in what is now East Africa, where the first recognizably human-like beings emerged from our anthropoid ancestors 8 million years ago. The first skeletal evidence we have of these creatures is 4 million years old, and the first preserved artifacts are 2.5 million years old. The first humans who resemble us exactly in body shape and hair distribution came into being some 40,000 years back. When we attempt to construct a timeline of the history of this evolution, we run head-on into a controversy among physical anthropologists and paleontologists about the length of time of human existence. Some saying we have been human for 3 million years, others for more conservative 40,000 years. Despite the heat rising from this dispute, I'm going to risk laying out a timeline and picking a point when our humanness came into being. 
I'm going to say that humans have been human, living in close approximation to our current state of biological and psychological development for one million years. Visualize a distance of 100 feet, the length of a basketball court plus six feet more. Imagine that this distance represents the last one million years of existence of the creatures who have become Homo sapiens. Fasten your seatbelts. The last one-fifth of an inch of this hundred feet represents the length of time that we have lived in mass technological civilization with the assumptions about life and reality that you and I are taught to assume as normal, not very long, and conceivably not very normal. Another way to think about this time span is by generations. Over the course of one million years, the human lineage has passed through some 35,000 generations. It may surprise you to realize that the Industrial Revolution began just six generations ago. For people engaged in recovery from addiction or trauma, one of the first things we learn is to reclaim our family lineage by tracing dysfunctional behaviors back through generations. A recovering drug addict might discover that his father was a raging alcoholic who had been beaten by his father who was traumatized in combat in World War I and so on back as long as family memory and documentation provide information. Another notable point on our timeline is the period when humans stopped living wholly in the wilderness and first started to manage and control nature's products and resources by constructing artificial barriers between human life and the natural world. Domestication. In the Near East, in the uplands surrounding the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, and in southeastern Europe, Organized planting and animal husbandry laid the foundation for what later became Western Euro-American civilization some 10,000 years ago. On a 100-foot timeline, this is just one foot from present time. In terms of human lineage, it is a mere 300 generations ago. Skipping ahead a few pages... Nature-based people manifest the very qualities that contemporary psychotherapy, the recovery movement, and spiritual practices continually aim for, a visible sense of inner peace, unself-conscious humility, an urge to communal cooperation, and heartfelt appreciation for the world around them. Having studied Solomon Islanders, lived with the Balinese, and trekked through Nepal, anthropologist Francis Harward describes this way of being as a transparency of psyche, a wide openness that emanates a space and time far beyond what we associate with the individual. And now I'm going to skip ahead to the middle of the book where trauma is being discussed. As psychotherapists, we might eventually wonder and ask, could it be that our very culture splits mind from body, intellect from feeling, because we as individuals are suffering from post-traumatic stress? Could it be that we as individuals are dissociated because we inhabit a culture that is founded on and perpetuates traumatic stress? Could it be that the linear perspective that infuses our vision, from our glorification of intellectual distancing to our debunking of the earthier realms of feeling and intuition, to our relentless lifting upward with skyscrapers and space shuttles, to the ultimate techno-utopian vision of downloading human knowledge into self-perpetuating computers to make embodied life obsolete, that such a perception is the result of some traumatic violation that happened in our human past. And the last one that I'd like to share from her book is as follows. 
Every trauma that occurs is an individual trauma perpetrated by individuals and experienced by individuals. Every trauma is a social trauma with roots in social institutions and implications for society at large. And every trauma is a historic trauma, fostered by the past and reverberating into the future. Our society is made up of vast numbers of traumatized individuals, and our culture has come into being through a universally traumatizing process. The outcome? Today's technological civilization with its massive psychopathologies and unending ecological disasters is a collective reflection of the traumatized personality. Now, the other book that I want to read from is titled, We've Had a Hundred Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse. This is by James Hillman and Michael Ventura. This book was published in 1993. That is 30 years ago. So I'm just going to read a couple of passages that overlap with what I just read. This is from James Hillman. We've had a hundred years of analysis and people are getting more and more sensitive and the world is getting worse and worse. Maybe it's time to look at that. We still locate the psyche inside the skin. You go inside to locate the psyche. You examine your feelings and your dreams. They belong to you. Or it's interrelations, interpsyche between your psyche and mine. That's been extended a little bit into family systems and office groups, but the psyche, the soul, is still only within and between people. We're working on our relationships constantly and our feelings and reflections. But look what's left out of that. What's left out is the deteriorating world. So why hasn't therapy noticed that? Because psychotherapy is only working on that inside soul. By removing the soul from the world and not recognizing that the soul is also in the world, psychotherapy can't do its job anymore. The buildings are sick, the institutions are sick, the banking system's sick, the schools, the streets, the sickness is out there. You know, the soul is always being discovered through pathology. Two pages later, Hillman says, the vogue today in psychotherapy is the inner child. That's the therapy thing. You go back to your childhood. But if you're looking backward, you're not looking around. This trip backward constellates what Jung called the child archetype. Now, the child archetype is by nature apolitical and disempowered. It has no connection with the political world. And so the adult says, well, what can I do about the world? This thing's bigger than me. That's the child archetype talking. All I can do is go into myself, work on my growth, my development, find good parenting, support groups, etc. This is the disaster for our political world, for our democracy. Democracy depends on intensely active citizens, not children. By emphasizing the child archetype, by making our therapeutic hours, rituals of evoking childhood and reconstructing childhood, we're blocking ourselves from political life. 20 or 30 years of therapy have moved the most sensitive and the most intelligent and some of the most affluent people in our society into child cult worship. It's going on insidiously, all through therapy, all through the country. So, of course, our politics are in disarray and nobody's voting. We're disempowering ourselves through therapy. If personal growth did lead into the world, wouldn't our political situation be different today, considering all the especially intelligent people who have been in therapy? 
What you learn in therapy is mainly feeling skills, how to really remember, how to let fantasy come, how to find words for invisible things, how to go deep and face things. So it's important for me to point out for anyone who is not familiar with James Hillman, who was a Jungian psychologist and uh, a bit of a renegade, that James Hillman, as a therapist, was not against therapy, but what he's pointing out here, and just in the title, we had a hundred years of psychotherapy and the world's getting worse, that by making all of our problems become basically a consequence of our childhood upbringing, our family of origins, and not looking at the world, that this becomes problematic. And I would say, this is me talking now and not Hillman, that what has been occurring in the huge focus on childhood trauma and our inner child, which is not to be altogether dismissed. There's many important things to be said about that. The challenge, however, as I see it, at least in my work with nonviolent communication, is then what we keep coming back to needs as we understand them. You know, the main ones being I have a need to be seen and heard. And often the inflection goes to being seen and heard as my childhood self, as the one who didn't get what they needed some 20, 30, 40 years ago, that that's really what I'm needing now in my intimate relationships, in my partner relationships. I want the other person to give me what I didn't have growing up as a child. And when this becomes your primary focus, it's so easy to forget about the world. How about some balance where, sure, think about or reflect on some of the ways that you were not fully met or cared for or attended to as a child. And part of it has to do too with a culture that doesn't know how to be in the world. It's not in the world. It's making its own reality disconnected from the world, even though it can never fully get away from that because we need the world, the non-human world in order to survive. So the strong emphasis placed on having our needs met within the context of personal relationships, whose very existence relies 100% on there being a world, there being a non-human world that can keep us alive and feed us. We don't put equal amounts of attention on the needs of the non-human world. To forget or neglect the needs of the living world, as I insist that those with whom I'm in close relationship with meet my needs to be seen and heard, to be respected, loved, cherished, and trusted, in many ways perpetuates the disconnection from the natural world, which further isolates and traumatizes us. I suspect that the world would be well served if we humans were to give our attention to the needs that our natural world has to be seen and heard, loved and cherished. To end this episode, I'd like to share a poem I wrote several years ago. It's titled, Imagine. Imagine this, you are born inside a mud and grass hut, breath fills your lungs, life. You hear soft voices, 
Hands reach out to hold you close. Skin, breast, milk, mother. You are given a name, binding you to your purpose and lineage. You are firmly rooted. Home. The gauzy blur before your newborn eyes slowly reveals the many who have awaited you. Village. You are given stories to help you to see and obey the natural order, to help you choose right living. Wisdom. The natural order surrounds you. You are embedded. This is how it is. Belonging. Forest, mountain, river, and creature, everything speaks the language of life. Creation. You are taught how you are inseparable from the web of life, how all things are joined. Kinship. You learn to pay heed, to listen to the land, to the winds and seasons, to the needs of all life. Respect. Your people help you to cultivate the capacity for humility, reverence, courtesy, and obligation. Etiquette. Elders instruct you, readying you, so that one day you may become an adult, elder, ancestor. Continuum. You learn to speak relationally. You learn to bring attentiveness to how language lives. Vigilance. You tend to what matters so that life can be nurtured by how you live your days. Stewardship. And if your story is more lostness and tragedy, then it is sanity and coherence. You work to remember. Redemption. Trauma does not consign you to choose between victim and oppressor. You are capable of more. Human. Imagine this. From your grief and labors, you can craft a different world for those to inherit this world. Benediction. I conclude this episode with that poem. I hope some of what you've heard inspires you to reflect on the needs of our world. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelamb.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous. Thank you.